morning. How are you all this day? All right. Dead? All right. All right. We are waking up. I am going to gently place this music on the keyboard in the same order it was, hopefully. Okay, there we go. Thank you, keyboardists, for offering up your music stand. Yeah, my name, like, like was mentioned, is Shell. Uh, I'm here today with my wife, Anne. She's here with me. Um, and yeah, we've been in a season of transition this summer, and maybe some of you as well, uh, moving or changing uh, locations or jobs. Uh, after 25 years of being a pastor in a local church context, an associate pastor for seven some years in a church, and then being a church planter and a lead pastor, uh, and all told 25 years, I'm transitioning out of lead pastoral or pastoral ministry in the normal sense this summer, uh, and just started a job on August 1 as the executive, I hate this title by the way, Executive Minister for Mennonite Church British Columbia, which is sort of a sister denomination to the group that you guys, one of the groups you're affiliated with, the Mennonite Brethren. In fact, the Mennonite Brethren offices are down the hall from where I am, and I just met the guy named Rob Teason uh, yesterday, two days ago, so... Um, yeah, I'm transitioning that role, supporting churches and leaders, uh, helping network Jesus-centered Anabaptist, neo-Anabaptist congregations across British Columbia. I'm really excited about that, and um, it's it's sort of a, one of those things where you think, will you you making it's it's sort of in the same career, but it's very different than what I've been doing for 25 years. So I'm definitely in the throes of that transition. Uh, today, uh, I'm going to share a little bit off track from uh, what was the. Uh, what you're talking about, the spiritual life and different uh, formations around that, this, this is related but a little different. Um, I want to talk to you today about stages within the spiritual journey. And I'm going to reference uh, a work uh, by Robert Gulish and Janet Hagberg, The Critical Journey. And this work was crucial in my life at a stage when I was working through what nowadays we, the buzzy term is deconstruction or wrestling with various aspects of Christianity gone, gone bad, while I was working in a church and then going to seminary, and thankfully I entered into a spiritual formation class with a wonderful uh, teacher, Susan Reese, who led us through many different um, spiritual disciplines and experiences, but also one of the key texts was this book. And God used this book in my life to really help me put um, some categories around or framing around what I was experiencing or had experienced or would be experiencing in my journey with Jesus. Now, this does relate directly to your larger theme this summer in that several of the authors that have written recently on um, sort of the spiritual formation and practices uh, that you're looking at have all of them, almost every one of them references this book that I'm going to share a little bit here with you today, um, whether it's uh, Ken Shigematsu's book on um, sort of hearing God in the everything or the everyday whether it is the Pete Scazzaro and Rich Villadas stuff on emotionally healthy spirituality and creating rules of life, they have different resources for that. Every one of them references back to Hagberg and Gulish's book on the critical journey and how important it is. In fact, they refer to one of the stages of the wall quite a bit in some of these other materials that, that you may be leaning into and resources that you may be leaning on as well. So today, I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you feel stuck or have a sense of loss of faith. Um, but I think it's important that we look for tools and ways to, to understand that this is a journey that we, were, we are on. Uh, you know, John in his gospel uses the word meno quite a bit about this idea of an active remaining in connection with Jesus, a relational connection. 
the classic, I am the vine, you are the branches, uh, as we remain in one another, that, that word is just throughout the Gospel of John. Another common word that is used in the New Testament for this spiritual journey that we're on is peripateo, this walking. This, this is a walking thing. We, we, Jesus, the early Christians, one of the markers was the way. So they were walking in the way revealed in Jesus, Messiah, and God. And so today, I want to really, if I was to sum up everything I'm going to say here in one simple phrase, it's that this is a journey, and there are different places or stages along the way. And what happens in churches where I was initially became a Christian and discipled, and we didn't talk much about this idea of different phases along the journey of the Christian life, and when you hit those places that Hegberg and Gulish talk about as the wall, this place where it seems like a loss of faith, it seems like everything that was built on before, just none of it is working. If you don't teach people that this is a normal part of the Christian journey, oftentimes we have now a lot of buzzy, pop deconstruction going. Some of it's deep and rooted in the awfulness that has been done in the name of Jesus, for sure. And some of it is just people just weren't told, guess what? There is a time in your spiritual journey where you will hit a wall where there will be a sense of loss of faith, where there will be that. But how does that fit in the larger scope of what can happen through someone who decides that I am committed to Christ through my whole life? What are the different stages of that look like? So we want to introduce that topic, look at these stages, and really focus on the first stage today. I don't know that I'm coming back, but if you want to learn more about the rest, uh, you can do that by exploring this book uh, that we're referencing today. Uh, I don't know if you stand when the gospel is read, but I'm going to read to you from the gospel of John. I'm a bit of a mix of... Uh, depending on the issue, progressive or hyper-conservative. But as we're reading uh, the gospel, would you stand with me this morning? I want to read to you a short passage from the gospel of John, John 18. Uh, This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, so let us be attentive to it. I'm going to read to you starting uh, from verse 15 here. And um, I love that you have kids in worship every church I've been in. We've encouraged that along with children's ministry. It's so important. Uh, But this passage says this. People were bringing babies to Jesus so that he would bless them. And when the disciples saw this, they scolded them. And when Jesus called uh, them to him and said, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, before I continue on, I do pray that you would anoint this uh, topical message today as we're exploring something beyond Scripture that may give scope uh, and and clarity to some of our journeying with you. Lord Jesus, do what only you can do. I know I can't change anyone's hearts. I can't even do the 5% softening that the great, mighty faith prayer that Mitch prayed. But I know that you can do uh, exceedingly above and beyond that which we could ever ask, think, or imagine as we cooperate with you in community and as persons and as individuals. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you're willing to say amen or amen, Amen. be seated. (laughs) Um, My spiritual journey, I became a Christian in a Pentecostal church. And so uh, if I ask for responses, it's just like stuff that's just been so deep within me, I've never been able to get rid of it, so it's there. Um, Good or bad, it's embodied practice. It makes it more dialogical in preaching and teaching. Um, In a really good Pentecostal church, people might stand up and shout back at you and tell you what you did wrong and or God help him, Jesus help him, uh, and or uh, other encouragements, uh, affirmations as well. I don't feel like uh, Reality Church, you are probably ready to do that. Uh, you can say that for John. You can jump up and tell him, Jesus, help him in one of his points, but don't. Okay. 
Um, I am thankful to know John as a brother in Christ as well and as a leader in the churches and um, excited about that. Last time I was here, by the way, uh, it was freezing in here. Um, I, I can't remember if the house were on vacation or what the story was, but the heat was not on. And this place was like, I mean, we had heaters uh, standing out. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And, and so anyway, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm getting the other spectrum today of the temperature of the room. So again, the disciples, as we know, and we read about them in the New Testament, were on a journey uh, before the Pentecost event, which launches the local church, which we read about in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. And uh, in the church being launched in the, in the first days of the church, Pentecost was a major destination. It was at that stage that the disciples' faith took on a productive kind of faith, an outward turn. Before that, it took several years of journeying with Jesus. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he spends those years of deliberately pouring into them. And, and that, those formative years where they are soaking up and soaking up and, and getting to try a few things here and there under the tutelage of the Master Jesus. And then at Pentecost, after his death and resurrection and ascension, then they are sent forth into this productive life. We can already see some of these sketches of the idea of stages of faith or a journey uh, in the launch of the church as well well. A major image, again, for the Christian life is walk or walking and remain and abiding. Paul uses this language as well, not just the author of the Gospel of John, but uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this referring to this uh, transformation of life and behavior, and he uses these admonitions, like in Romans 6, 4, it says, walking in newness of life. Um, Romans 8, 1 and 4, he talks about this walk not after the flesh or what we would say the unjust, anti-love pieces of our human nature that need the redeeming of the work of the Spirit, but walk after the Spirit in Romans 8. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've heard this passage, walk by faith and not by sight. This sort of walking beyond your experience in order to learn new things. Or the early church had this wonderful phrase that I'm going to believe in order to understand. That's kind of that walking. Some things you don't know until you actually take the next step. And it's an experiential knowing part of our journey in life and certainly part of the Christian journey. Ephesians 4.1, again, this language of journeying. Walk worthy of our calling. Ephesians 5.8, walk as children of the light in sharp contrast to the reader's former lives, which he also draws contrast between walking in a different way versus walking in this Jesus way. One's general lifestyle and behavior towards outsiders, towards each other, in the brother-sisterhood of the faith. Again and again and again, this language is woven throughout the New Testament, the Second Testament. It's a great tragedy when we don't tell people again that this is a journey. And there are different stages and seasons. And just because you're in a different stage does not mean that your faith and that Jesus has all of a sudden failed. But rather, we need to be aware of what's going on in this stage. What am I experiencing? What am I learning? And how can we help in our formational practices as local churches to understand that people may be in different stages on the spiritual journey? And we're about to unpack some of these stages in just a moment here. But that's important to be a, a strong church. Many churches uh, are sort of low-threshold churches. They're really good at stage one, which, I'll, which will be the one we'll spend a little more time on in a second here, the recognition of God. Uh, some churches are really, really good at that. Uh, and they really then struggle with people that are not at that space anymore in their spiritual journey. I think healthy churches try to at least uh, make space for people in a couple of these stages. I don't know that any one church is perfect for all the stages. I mean, all of us would like to think each church is, but I'm not sure that is the case. 
But we can get frustrated. We can have a sense of, to use Hegbird's language or Robert Gulish's words, we can have a sense of being caged uh, when no one helps us see that there are other stages. And it's not simply about maybe you're moving along or God's moving you along on this journey. And you can't simply go back to stage one. The things that worked at one point in your journey don't work anymore. And so this idea of expanding and understanding this are moving forward in him and different places along the journey. So what happens to people who stop in their discovery of Jesus? What would have happened if the disciples never grew and adjusted their expectations? Remember, Jesus was constantly messing with their expectations and helping them grow along the way. What if they never ended up in the upper room at Pentecost where they, uh, I believe uh, Sarah said something about putting the uh, Bible before the phone in the mornings. What if they never spent the time of stillness and silence and, and out loud prayer and waited on God in that space in order to receive empowerment for this next thing, this next stage? What if they never grew in their understanding of Jesus as spiritual and world redeemer instead of simply a, uh, another political messiah in first century uh, ancient Israel, ancient Palestine? Perhaps they would have all played the role of Judas had they never grown. Because Judas, one reading of Judas is he was trying to force Jesus to be the kind of Messiah politically that they wanted. To provide the kind of political action that they wanted. And Jesus wasn't going down that path because he was about to reveal a whole other way of living into the reign of God and bringing about change on the earth now. Perhaps they all would have done that. So these stages, I think, are helpful in our spiritual journey. Now, it could be something where we need to understand that when we think about the spiritual journey uh, stages, that the stages are not infallible. This is not the gospel itself. Rather, it is a tool or trellis, like that language again on spiritual disciplines. The stages are also a trellis to help us understand. In fact, about these stages, in sometimes in seasons in life, you can go back and forth a little bit, especially earlier on in these stages. But one of the things we learn in the stages in the spiritual journey is that we do not force ourselves going forward. Rather, we receive from God gracious empowerment and invitation to take those next steps of faith in our lives at different, um, uh, different points along the way. So in the stage theory, again, a little more, it is descriptive. Uh, describing how this works more than prescriptive. Like you can't say, okay, I'm going to move on to the next stage in my own strength and, and power and will, uh, all of that. You can cooperate or not. But this idea that, uh, again, it's descriptive more than it's prescriptive. Like many things, even in the Bible, we always have to ask a question. Is it describing what's going on in the, in the situation? Or is it prescribing? Uh, is it an injunction? Is it an imperative behavior? Or is it uh, illustrating a state of affairs and how God might be interacting with that and human wills are interacting with it? Uh, so here are just a quick overview of the seven phases or stages of the spiritual journey. And I'll say a little more about the, how they relate to one another. And a little more about one before we leave today. But So the seven stages are, number one is the recognition of God, uh, this sense of powerlessness. And um, in this, we also have a sense of awe. We have a sense of need. We have a natural awareness. It's this point where we recognize perhaps there is more than what I was told in natural, uh, naturalist reductionism in the late, uh, late modernity of uh, Western uh, ways of being and thinking. Maybe there's more. There's an awakening. And sometimes we come through this sense of awe in various ways. It may be in the worship of a church and a friend invites us to a thing and we hear a story of Jesus or a story about redemption or a story about uh, brokenness and new life and healing and it, and it awakens us and we are aware. 
It can sometimes happen through a natural uh, theology. We experience the splendor of creation and somehow something within us clicks for the first time that maybe there is something uh, undergirding and sustaining and holding it all together. Maybe there is more. Uh, Maybe we start thinking about the idea of numbers if you're a geek a little bit. And do numbers have existence outside of actually being used? Or does music exist when it's not being played? And all of a sudden, philosophically, we are now entering into the territory of what we might call theism. Do these things have meaning? Is there this ultimate in the universe? But that first stage is the awakening of God. And we can get stuck at that stage if we constantly sort of recycle and not say, okay, uh, not be aware of how God might be moving us to go deeper. In fact, when people say, the tree is my church, or the outdoors is my church, I would say they are caged at stage one, right? Uh, They're overwhelmed with a sense of awe, but not, not necessarily letting themselves be drawn into, so what? We are also made for people and for community. And, and while you can indeed experience a sense of awe and wonder in terms of personal love and the sense of you personally matter and you personally are loved and you personally have purpose, it's kind of hard to find that out in the a forest is my sanctuary. But in the messy gathering of the local church, where we learn the teachings of Jesus, that yes, indeed, he is the creator and he is present everywhere by the Holy Spirit, but he is uniquely present in the means of grace of the church community. And this is where we can look one another in the eyes and say, you are beloved of God. And not only that, learn tools and skills for going deeper in love relationship and friends and family and covenant relationships like marriage as well. That we don't get in the great outdoors is my church, but we get the sense of all recognition. Stage two is the life of discipleship, the drilling down in. Faith is learning about God, meaning from belonging, and answers are often found in uh, the systems that we, we create to sort of discern and wrestle with the things that we are awakening to. This is the life of discipleship. In fact, if there's children in the church, discipleship for children, this is a big thing, teaching them some of the things about Jesus and, and, and what is the wisdom of the ages that we have passed down within, our, uh, within Orthodox Christianity, our experience of Jesus. The third stage, and again, I'm just going to name, go through these quick and then spend a little more with one and then we'll land the plane and let you out. Uh, the third stage is the productive life. So you have awareness of God, awakening to God, You move into the second stage where there's intentional discipleship. This is oftentimes a newer believer you'll want to drill and churches want to have things like alpha courses and Bible studies. And I think you should always have small groups of some type, regardless of where one is at in the stages. But some of those small groups focus on uh, the learning aspect, sort of bringing the cognitive and the emotive together in our experience. But as we learn more, we also have the sense of the empowerment of God. Um, if you stay at stage two, by the way, we can become super rigid uh, in, in false holiness and righteousness. I think some churches get so, uh, uh, and I can say this now that I'm not a local pastor. Whew, that's so weird. I'm still adjusting to that. Um, I think some churches get really fixated on life of discipleship. You can, you can be always inward, like we're forming, 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 forming. But then we have the sense, sometimes if we are like really teaching is our main thing and we have Bible study after Bible study and so much information overload, or nowadays you can get most of it anywhere on the internet, but we can also become very rigid in our righteousness. We can become very ideological in this stage as we are learning a certain way of discipling, a certain type of Christianity, a certain angle about it. We can often enter into we against them if we stay stuck in this stage versus turning outward as we are learning and becoming more familiar with God and the nature of Scripture and, and the teachings of the church, the core stuff and what's not core. The third stage is the productive life. Are you guys still with me? I know I'm, I'm a little more teachy this morning than my normal preachiness. All right, good, good. I, I hear snickering, so that's good, okay. Um, 
I thought about doing a whole riff again on uh, John because when he was the first time he was at Pilgrim as a guest, man, he just, he, it was like roast shell Sundays. So my church loved it, but I'm just not wired that way. I'm, I'm so much kinder. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm just kidding. Scratch that from the record. Oh, shoot. Sarah's in the room. <laughs> there are room. <laughs> it will relate. So third is a productive life. Productive life. And this is sort of the outward, initial outward turn of our faith. Uh, as we have recognized God, as we have built and now we have uh, more understanding, we are called to live into community and use our gifts. Where Paul talks about to each one, 1 Corinthians, to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. This outward turn, while we're initially learning, in order to be faithful to this communal faith, this is not just individual, it is also communal. Why the local church matters. I'm 100% sold on the local church. That's why I'm no longer serving the local church, so I can encourage local churches about how important they are. Um, this idea of, of, of working for God. And we, we tend to take on more responsibility in the church. And if you've been in a church and you've gotten lots of discipling information and, and experience, there's a time to turn outward and to serve, to see how are my gifts to be used in this body. And you say, well, I don't know if my gifts to be used. Well, sometimes we need to pray, Holy Spirit, give me the gift that my church needs in this season of life and that aligns with me enough that I'm not going to go nuts doing it. All right? You can pray that kind of prayer. And I think the Lord uh, uh, affirms those prayers. And discern with others as well, obviously, in your local body. So this is the working for God stage. Working for God stage. If we get stuck in this stage, we can be overly zealous. We can become weary and well-doing. I like how David Fitch talks about churches that are, don't find this idea of rooting themselves in the severance sort of core practices of Christianity. Uh, he says we can, we can move into exhaustion mode where we're doing, 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 doing. And we haven't figured out that it, we're not just about that. But that's certainly times and seasons where we are more or less engaged with that. And in every church, there should be some people that are really engaged in this because it's where they're at in their journey. Uh, we can become very self-centered in that we are looking at others and judging them if they're not doing at the level we are doing. <laughs> um, and we can see, we can also become performative in how we experience our religious faith. Uh, where we are uh, more about performing for others than necessarily living into this authentic use of the energies in the life that the Spirit has given us at this stage. So the fourth stage is the inward journey. And this inward journey happens, and this is where most churches, in the fourth stage and the wall and the last two, a lot of churches will fail at this and have failed, and have failed spectacularly in North America, because when this begins to happen, many churches traditionally have said, you just need to go back to your initial, they misuse Revelation, uh, the first uh, two chapters, and it says, you just need to go back to your first love, you just need to go back to performing, you just need to go back to doing the things, and they may be motivated uh, from a good heart, they may be motivated from, we need to get stuff done, uh, who knows, but churches often struggle with this. Uh, that, again, there is a time when we begin to experience a faith crisis. And I want to say this, that life crises that come upon us and faith crises that come upon us are normal. They're unique to each person, but it's a normal part of the spiritual journey. Had someone told me that early on in the life of discipleship in the church, I think that would have been immensely helpful. But thank God he aligned things in my life uh, that I didn't have to go. I experienced a wall for sure. But I, I was able to then think, oh my goodness, this is happening. I was able to give thoughts and structure to what I was going through. It was very real, absolutely real. But yet, if you begin to say, oh, but I'm not alone. Others have been here, unique to them, but they've been here in this stage. This inward journey is our rediscovering of God. After we've gone through our initial recognition, our life of discipleship, our producing for God, there is a time of crises that come upon us. 
Loss of certainties happen, and this is a normal part of the Christian journey, is getting over, I like how Greg Boyd puts this, the idol of certainty. And in this, we got on a search for direction, and if no one's told us that this is normal, we may actually walk away entirely, not realizing that the best is yet to come, uh, if we're willing to continue to to walk with him and to remain with him in the midst of the sense that all is gone. This is the time when we want to pursue relational integrity uh, with God and with others. And this is a time where we release God from the box. Uh, such an old, old uh, metaphor. But this idea of getting out of this, what, however we had sort of controlled God by what we learned before in our life of discipleship and production uh, for him. This stage is super important to know because it is experienced often as a loss of faith. Because how we were discipled before didn't tell us, oh, by the way, there's stages. By the way, there's things from the Christian mystics like the dark night of the soul. There's this idea of the unknowing aspect of our faith that as we lean into that, uh, we are also growing even though it feels quite the opposite of growth. Now, what happens if you get stuck in this? Well, you become a, uh, a blogger or a, a vlogger or whatever. You become a TikToker on massive deconstruction and you just go nuts for like years and years and years. Always questioning, always being consumed by self-assessment. And ultimately, one can get stuck at this, and you're immobilized. You can't move forward. Where instead of sort of being in that and just being in that place, we sort of spiral downward. That can be a stuck uh, aspect of stage four. So part of stage four, by the way, becomes this thing, and this is referenced in Vilodas' book, this is referenced in Shigematsu's book, this is referenced in um, all the uh, emotionally healthy spirituality stuff as well, the Skazaro stuff, uh, this idea of hitting the wall in everything. So there's a sense of loss of faith, but then our will faces God's will, and it's this time to face sort of the sense of ultimate truth and letting God's will be our will, and we hit this wall, and oftentimes when we hit this wall, we try to jump over the wall, we try to dig under the wall, we try to go around the wall. There is no way through the wall in the spiritual journey but to simply be there until we relinquish, and we learn those prayers of relinquishment if we're still doing this within some Christian context. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, for example. And we stay at that wall until God brings us through it. And this in the Christian tradition, in the mystical tradition, this is super important to understand. It is normal. It is part of the journey. It feels like you're stuck in the muck. But everyone who comes through and is, lets themselves be brought through into a new faith in God, in Christ on the other side, begins to outflow in ways that when we just try to go back to the earlier stages, we will never experience. God brings us through the wall. Now, the problem with the wall is that we want to try to control the wall. We want to manage the wall. We want to throw things at the wall. But really, God has to bring us through. I can give descriptive language for the wall. I can talk about my wall experience or, or refer to others as some of these authors do as well. But ultimately, we wait in there. And for me, it was waiting while I was still in a community of worship. I didn't, like, you know, burn the church to the ground. I mean, I feel like that some days, doesn't everyone who's in a local church? Um, because we are saints and sinners in process, and we're not there yet, uh, but that's part of the joy and part of the, what, the formational aspect of the local church as well. But eventually God brings us through this wall. And when God does this, we begin to go on a new journey, another journey outward. And Walter Brueggemann talks about this, and I might have shared this when I was here last about his sort of uh, category for the Psalms. But there's Psalms that speak about this as well in terms of life crisis. It can be life crisis, you know, a, a death 
a death of a loved one, a death of a child, a death of a parent. It can be uh, job loss. It can be divorce. It can be, so there's life crises. There can be a health thing. There can be a cancer thing. There can be any number of things that bring us to the wall. It could be spiritual crisis where we're just uh, thinking about the things of the church and what has failed us, and, and that can bring us to the wall as well. But there is a sense if we wait there and let God bring us through and we begin to move beyond uh, our, our shame ways of being and we begin to move beyond uh, simply trying to produce our way out of things and we just wait and let God move us through, God does move through to the other side. The disorientation gives way to unexpected new orientation, to use Bulgarian language here. And I know I might be just preaching to myself today, but this is stuff that's so important, I think, to hear. This fifth stage that's identified, again, stage or descriptive. Stages are helpful. I don't think they're everything, but they're helpful. We have a renewed sense of God's acceptance, a new sense of life, this, this life with others, a new sense of calling, a new sense of vocation, a new sense of purpose, and we have a new deep calm and stillness. I think these stages often, by the way, can in some ways circle through a little bit and you go deeper uh, the next time through. But oftentimes, I think some of this aligns with, say, midlife crisis, for example. Some of you are not there yet. I am solidly in the middle of midlife. Uh, These things happen. But knowing that God can bring us through, and if we are faithful and we we remain and and we let God bring us through, then there's this new journey of outwardness, this new sense of purpose that God gifts us in this next season, this stage five of the outward journey. Faith is surrendering to God and God's leading. For me, that's a very real thing in this, this experience of this. I would say in some ways a part of where I'm at, releasing the sense of my identity in being a local church pastor or minister. If you've been in any career for a long time, releasing that for a season or permanently, I don't know if it's permanently, but certainly a season, and God brings you into something new. I don't know what the new thing was. In this case, it was unexpected shoulder tapping and encouragement, that kind of thing from others who are farther along in the journey. And then the final stage of spiritual journey. And as a church develops this, and oftentimes these things track with age, but not exclusively so. Sometimes we are brought through different life circumstances through things earlier. Sometimes we've experienced... uh, yeah, all kinds of things. It may need healing and therapy and counseling, but in terms of the spiritual journey as well, this sixth stage, if we've gone through the wall and we experience this new outward journey, is walking in this heart or life of love. And I would say that this is the ultimate goal of Christian formation, is becoming ultimately theosis, most like Jesus, and filled with his, his, his uh, sense of love for all that is created. This Christ-like living in total obedience to God and this wisdom that's been gained through the struggles and letting us go through that we learn through our deconstruction and our reconstruction or whatever language you're comfortable with, your renovation and tearing down, your rebuilding, uh, that on this other side is this life of love. And wisdom has been gained from the struggles and now we live at a level of compassion that is not natural before. Now it has becoming natural. This idea, as we've seen, like the little pop, uh, you know, memes that talk about, you know, be kind to everyone because you have no idea of the battles they're fighting. Like that becomes real for you. It's not forced. You're now living out of it as the love of Christ you, is, is just radiating out of you as you've let God mature you and draw you through. Your compassion for others, you live in that way that it just moves. And you're a little more detached from things. There is sort of this Christian version of detachment that we can affirm in the life of love. 
That I'm not as concerned as more about striving. I can actually really pray the be still and know that I am God. I can really lean into that and say, you know, I, I, I want to bless this world. This God is coming back and bringing fullness of recreation. And I want to be part of the recreation process now. Uh, and yet I understand that this is not all and I'm only a piece. So I can flow. I can be more generous with my love. I can be more open with my heart towards others. And I can live uh, from that sense of power from below, and it becomes a real thing for me. Okay, I got to land this, right? Amen. Come on, that was your Pentecostal moment right there. Pastor said, hey, I should end this soon, right? Amen. Okay, all right, well. <laughs> you laugh, I'll keep going. I'm not a comedian, but I know that's how it works. I had a few in my former church. All right. Again, to remind you a few things about these stages, uh, they're fluid. Sometimes we move back and forth between one or two of them. The orderliness of the model suggests only the sequence in which we will experience the stages as we go on the journey of life. Uh, you don't begin at stage three. You always begin at stage one in this case. And we may revisit some of these earlier stages, and our experience, though, when we do that, will be deeper and more personal than the first time. I like how uh, Jenna puts it. We experience more depth each time we recycle through stages at a higher place, sort of on this, this spiral. According to stage theory regarding this, by the way, we can intellectually grasp why I've actually just unpacked all seven uh, or six plus the wall. We can intellectually grasp each stage immediately ahead of us, but we don't truly get a stage that's maybe two stages further along. It's just impossible until you've lived that kind of thing or been through that. Individuals will experience stages differently than others. And again, this does have its limitation. It is a loose guide. It's fuzzy, and there's a lot of overlap with these things, but I encourage you, if you've been wrestling with where am I at on this journey, why does it feel I'm stuck, get some resources like this, or dig into the emotionally healthy spirituality material, or whatever your church, uh, I haven't been on the website, but I'm sure there's some great resources there that, that your leadership here has put together as well. But what I do want to encourage you to as well is when there's Christians that may be in the process of going through faith deconstruction, and maybe it's legitimate because the church, it's all legitimate, right? But I mean, maybe it's because there's been horrible things uh, that they've experienced in church community. Um, keep in mind that that is not the end of the story. Even if that's where you're at right now, that is not the end of your story. Your story may go on, and, and we can be caged at these stages. I don't have time to unpack that. We can try to get our identity by staying at a stage, and we have some that are maybe more natural to us, of course. But I want to encourage you to do some more soulish work, to know that there is more, and to know that every great story that we see of the saints and sinners throughout the ages of the church are people that hit a wall with God and came through, and God brought them through to the other side. They didn't let the wall be their last thing. They weren't defined by that. They were certainly for a season, but there is the coming through the other side. If you read St. John of the Cross, Dark Night of the Soul, that kind of thing speaks to this as well. And I want to say this as well. God's grace and God's love can be experienced very differently depending on which stage you are in the spiritual journey. I've got a bunch of stuff that I skipped as I just freewheeled it there. I'm just figuring out, should I go back and say any of that or just like, nah, we'll just, we'll let it go. We'll let it go. You can't do everything in one sermon, right? Um, you know, I'm not preaching anymore, so i got to unload more when I'm a guest, so, no, or less, I don't know. Well, let me just say this, in terms of moving forward in, to the next stage, in, in, if you're in the awareness of God, peace, and then I'll just land it with a few final points here. So the initial stage, stage one, awareness of God, um, moving forward in that stage is, be, again, becoming part of a strong group. 
in order to belong and, and feel that you belong, whether they're small groups, Bible study, church groups. This is where all of these stages, the church has different roles to play in people's lives. And again, we could unpack that as well about reality. What, maybe there's two or three of these stages that God has called reality particularly to be, be engaged with. Um, again, it's not my job to figure that out. That's your job. But uh, there are, not all churches are going to do all of these and be safe spaces or safer spaces for all of these in most cases. Uh, so maybe we, you ask those questions about what does this mean for our church? As an individual, part of it is letting, as you're becoming a believer or awareness of God, is letting your life become significant, that you have been called to do more than just bless your kin and kith. Like, you are called to a greater, a greater impact. That the call of Christianity is that we are called to be a messy community for the blessing of this earth until the newness comes, however it comes, that we are called as an outward and inward community, and we have that constant motion. As one of the old Anglican church bishops said, the church is one of the only places that has membership that exists for the benefit of non-members. Hallelujah. Whether we're talking about creation care, we're talking about care of one's spirit and mind and body, all these things, we should be one of those spaces that has that. In fact, we have unique unity around Jesus. If Jesus is our center, uh, every other social group has something else in that center. But if Jesus is our center, we define Jesus as God uh, put on flesh and God displaying what love means, outrageous, self-sacrificial love, love that is uh, all, all of the aspects of love, then our center is love in Jesus. That's unique. And that can bless every other aspect of life, our, our kinship circles, our, our friendship circles, our work circles as well. I think part of it is making sure your church is a place where it is safe for people to be on a journey. Some churches aren't. If you admit that you're dealing with, your, to use the buzzy term again, deconstruction or, or renovation, I think Brian Zond uses that language, or um, I've hit a wall, to use the, the Gulish Hegberg, uh, Skazuro, Vilodas, uh, uh, Shigematsu language like that. Uh, some places it's not safe to be there because someone wants to say, oh, you just need to go back to stage one. Guess what? You can't. If you do that, it will not work for you. And you'll become frustrated and you'll probably want to walk away and burn it to the ground in your mind at least, right? But being a place where like, hey, it's all right. I'm not there. And, and finding language, and maybe this isn't the language for you, but find language that sort of gives space and shape to the idea of stages or places on the spiritual journey. I like in Matthew 13, 5, Jesus talks about some of the initial uptake and he uses the parable of the weeds and, and the parable of the sower. And he says, some seed fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. And when people hear, verse 19, Matthew 13, when people hear the message about the kingdom and do not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was snowing in the hearts. The seed is sown along the path. And the seed falling on rocky ground refers to people who hear the word at once, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They only last a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, the message of Jesus, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to people who hear the word, but the worries of this light and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus dealt with people at all places in their journey, and obviously as he's on earth revealing who he is and moving the whole thing forward into the Second Testament. He treated people in these beginning stages with reverence, in the stages of awe or awakening. He healed people, he loved people, and he gave credit for miracles and other works to his Father in heaven, directing them to God as Father before, of course, his full revealing. When we decide to journey with Jesus, it can be humbling and vulnerable. It's new territory, 
And when we do anything new, it's uncomfortable at first, and it's making ourselves vulnerable. And I think naming stages helps us to enter into vulnerability, gives us tools for entering into that, versus just saying, be vulnerable. This is what I think is going on in my life. So this morning, in conclusion, landing the plane, letting you out, making the arrival at YVR, maybe you need to solidify what God is doing amongst yourself right now, in yourself as an individual. Maybe you're here and you're seeking and God is drawing and you can cement that recognition, that stage one recognition of God by maybe naming that before God. Uh, Old school evangelicals would say these are times of conversion prayers and, and saying yes to giving allegiance to Jesus. And maybe you need to be okay with being at stage one. I'm awakening to something and it's beautiful and I'm experiencing awe and wonder and I'm hearing the music from another sphere and I'm beginning to hear that sound and and numbers might have existence outside of being used, you know. Uh, Maybe you're in this house and you're in this space of awakening of God and this is one of the first places of beginning to say, yes, give allegiance to Jesus. I want to believe in order to understand more. I want to take that step of faith and that's where God meets us on the journey as we take the next step on the hiking trail of the spiritual journey. And maybe that's where you're at right now this morning. You're at stage one. And you need to say, yes, I give my allegiance to Jesus. In fact, that's one way of understanding faith in the New Testament. Pistis is this idea of I'm aligning with his life, teachings, death, and resurrection. If he is defined ultimately as God who is love, I want to lean into that more and actually beginning to name that. And that's hard for us to do as Canadians. I am a dual citizen, so I can be loud also. But uh, it can be hard for us to say, yeah, there is a time to make a commitment, to take that, to name where I'm at. And that's such a low bar commitment, but sometimes that even scares us to name where we're at. Maybe you're stuck at stage one. You've experienced awe and now it's gone and there's not much else for you in the spiritual journey. You keep going out on the hikes, you keep hugging the trees and you're not feeling the vibes anymore and you're like, what's going on? Maybe you're in danger of not developing a root. And I think oftentimes there's an enemy that works to keep us caged at this stage one. I worked at my first church as a staff member, and it had a low threshold, and it did all kinds of conversionism stuff and all this, and many, many people never got a root. And in fact, if you were growing in that place, it could be very difficult for them to be okay with that, the questioning that's needed to move forward in faith. Maybe you're stuck, and it's time to say, God, I, 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 I confess that I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need the wisdom of my community. You are worthwhile. God loves you, and so does this church. And there's nothing you could do or have done that can separate you from God's powerful love. He wants to continue to form you to be more Christ-like. And third and finally this morning, remember and share your story. Maybe how you first recognized God in your life through need or through awe, through crisis, through beauty. This sort of learning to restory and tell our story is so important because it helps others begin to identify their place on the spiritual journey too. And there's places where the sages are unique and they are yet ununique, unique in our individual experience of them, but ununique in that they are common enough that they can be named and have been named in various ways throughout Christian history. Learn to tell our stories. Where are we at? Dig deeper with your faith in order to find the new life that is there. And be okay with not being, having to go back to a previous place. That's not going to do it. It's learning to lean forward in faith, in hope, in love, and and name these things. And look at the stories of the characters of the Bible and the Christian saints that have gone before. And we learn that God is at work in all of it. I could say so much more, as you can tell. (laughs) But I better not.
but it's such a joy to come here and be a guest here today. Uh, and hopefully, I don't know, we'll see one another one way or the other. But God is at work in British Columbia. God is at work in these sort of Anabaptist-ish, Jesus-centered churches that are making safer spaces for people to wrestle, for people that otherwise, if it was just going back to hardcore fundamentalism, they would never go back to that, or they would never become Christians in that kind of thing. Even though nobody uses that language, they may work that way. And I don't know where reality's at in the big scope and, 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 and sequence of Christian development and life here in Vancouver, but I do have a sense that this is a place that wants to be a safer place for the journey and the questions and the curiosity and being okay with people being at the wall and God bringing you through. And a safe place for new folks who become awareness of God. I hiked in the mountains. I heard a voice. I need a name for the voice. <laughs> Jesus. Well, depending on what the voice said. But, you know, it was loving and good. It was Jesus, all right? Uh, maybe that's this community. And I think it is this community. But as you continue on, uh, yeah, be aware of the journey. Be aware of stages. Be aware of how we grow in Christ and as you're dealing into the different spiritual formation this summer, what a beautiful time to wrestle with this as well. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it back, your service back over to the wonderful Mitch, I think, or whoever, or I don't know who's presiding over, whoever's presiding over communion will come up as well. But would you stand with me if you're able to do so? <clears throat> so God in heaven, I do thank you that you are here present and when the church gathers around the name of Jesus over the bread and the wine and the teaching of Scripture and the worship and community and prayers and discipling groups and next-gen ministries that you promise to be uniquely present. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that indeed you are here. And through each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good is made present in how we pray, how we serve now and following this gathering and throughout the weeks and the ministries that we do together. And Lord, I do pray today for the person that may need to be, I, I, maybe this sermon was for one person in this room that needs to know they're on a journey and it's okay that they're not in whatever stage they were before. Or maybe they're at the wall and they needed to hear that the wall is a normal part of the journey, the loss of certainty, the sense of loss of faith. But God, that there is more, but part of it is waiting and being present to all of the things instead of trying to force change, but being open to your grace and open to your continued leading. God, for the person that's at the wall because of crises, because of hard things that have happened, whether it's relational breakdown or job breakdown or health breakdown, I ask God today that they would hear that you are singing songs of love over them and that their identity was never first in those things. They are always secondary things, but their first identity is as your child, beloved of you, and that you sing over them. You take delight in them, Lord, that they would hear that today. And God, I do pray that this community would continue to be a safe place, a safer place for wrestling and growing and also performing and doing for the kingdom. That it's both and and we're not all there at the same time usually, but enough of us are that we, that's why we need community. Lord, bless this house, bless these people, bless uh, Pastor John, bless Sarah, bless, their, bless the ministry, bless Mitch, bless all the elders whose names I do not know and everyone who is leading in some capacity here. And may this awareness of the stages of faith help them to care for one another and lead one another in mutual love in a, in a healthier way. I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you're willing to say, Amen. 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 Thank you.